0: This is the KFru Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast. To hear the show live, tune in to News Talk ninety eight point nine FM and fourteen hundred AM KFru Sunday mornings from eight AM to ten AM. Or ask Alexa to play KFru. Now the KFru Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast from News Talk ninety eight point nine FM and fourteen hundred AM KFru.
1: It is 8.08 on Sunday, November 19th. Mark Mills here. It's 98.9 FM, 1400 AM, KFRU. And welcome into the Sunday Morning Roundtable. And Bob Roper is here along with Matt Gass. Matt, the president, Central Region for Brightly, the owners of Burl um, uh, Behavioral Health. And we welcome him back in as a guest host. Bob, good morning.
2: Morning. Good morning to you. Morning to everybody.
1: Matt, you ready
3: to go? I'm excited about this, Bob.
2: All right, let's do it. First of all, let's do a major league shout out to the uh, Missouri Tiger football game. You know, I hardly ever go to games anymore. Somebody offered me a ticket to go with some friends, and I went last night. I always used to say you have to go to all the games to see the really great games that show up every now and then. I'm going to rethink that little aphorism, because last night was a great game, and you know, fourth and seventeen, and you get twenty-five and go down the the road and uh, win the thing at the end. So, I guess this is just one of those teams that comes along every now and then, and you really, uh, you really have to tip your cap to them because uh, that uh, was a refuse to lose effort.
3: Speaking of people showing up, uh, the twelfth
2: man really came oh on gosh. strong yesterday.
1: Yeah. That was the loudest I think
2: I've ever heard that stadium get. That and crowd. Another sellout. Well, of yeah, I
1: was going to say it. It helps when there are more people in there, right?
2: Right. Uh, it's pretty a lot, well full. A lot of people this morning are whores, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they recover. Yep. Uh, program note: uh, In the second hour, uh, we're pleased to have as our guests uh, Suzette uh, Waters, who's the uh, president of the Columbia Public School uh, Board, and Dr. Brian Yearwood. He's, of course, the superintendent. So got some issues to talk with them about and are uh, pleased to have
1: them join us for that hour. Yeah we'll look forward to hearing from them and talking there. I have a shout out and I guess a program note as well so we'll cover both sides but um, uh, a sad note uh, but as they say the saying goes uh, all great things come to an end and uh, Bob Roper is going to do his last show today. He's decided that uh, uh, after the number is somewhere in the close to 20 years or 15 plus or uh, not being able to totally nail that down but that he's been a part of the Sunday morning roundtable and uh, he has decided that he is going to uh, uh, take his microphone and go home I guess but uh, (laughs) uh, we I just want to say on behalf of KFRU and the Cumulus family of stations here in central Missouri and I'll say it on behalf of a lot of listeners and uh, certainly all of our folks here we we totally appreciate what uh, what you do and what you have done, and being a consistent part of this program that has become really quite uh, one of the jewels of the of the broadcast week on this radio station. And much of that is because of you. So thank you, Bob. We're going to miss you. I'm I'm for sure going to miss uh, seeing you every once in a while on Sunday morning. But we appreciate everything you've done.
2: Well, Mark, thanks for the kind words. I have a few things to say. Like everything, there comes a time and uh it has occurred i've been thinking about doing this for a, a few months anyway and i finally decided maybe now's the time a few comments i would like to make i do have some thanks to offer up uh, as i take your microphone and go home uh thanks to kfru you all have been very uh supportive and i uh, uh, want, want to pass my uh thanks on to you and my co-hosts over the years i've enjoyed working with everyone i guess i'd have to give a special shout out and thanks though to all of you uh the listening audience uh you are remarkably knowledgeable uh you're engaged and we have great conversations uh we've always been able to agree or disagree without being disagreeable or unpleasant et cetera. and so that's always nice and uh I think we've really had good insights and conversations discussed, and so much of that is, uh, frankly, uh, a testament to the quality of our listening audience, so super thanks to all of them. My goals were always to be, try to be as knowledgeable as possible, always be civil, treat people with respect, uh, and I hope I've succeeded in that regard. Uh, I know that i, I walk walked out of here the last time feeling like uh, it's been a great run with particular affection to the listening audience so thanks for your nice words uh mark but i want to pass on my feelings toward the audience too
1: well again we we thank you for that you know i'll just say this 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 isn't a two hour a week job uh, and it's not a job uh it's a volunteer (laughs) position quite frankly uh but we appreciate also your connections and thought process of bringing guests to the show on a regular basis and and also the fact that i know you spend uh, some hours ahead of time being prepared, and it shows. So thanks again. Well, thanks.
2: Let's have a show. What do you
1: say? All right, let's you ready to go, that. Matt?
2: I, I'm ready,
3: but I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, it doesn't – for me it doesn't matter if it was 15 years or 20 years. You know, we, we sort of talk and bring things from from what we know. And from a mental health perspective, we, we as humans appreciate and need consistency and, and the fact that you've been here – and showed up and suited up for the last fifteen, maybe twenty years, um, as as a routine member uh, and and someone who can can bring forward what they thought the best of this community is. Uh, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for that, Bob. Thank you. I
2: appreciate that. Well, let's let's talk about some issues. Uh, actually, some interesting things happened this week. Uh, we uh, <clears throat> the city manager met the deadline and, in fact, uh, named a police chief uh, uh, in the first part of November, uh, Jill Schlutte, the internal candidate. Uh, my own view was that I thought she was the best candidate. I was hoping that she would get it. Uh, and my reasons are fairly simple. We haven't had a lot of luck bringing in outsiders and she, I, I particularly appreciate, uh, that Jill came up through the ranks. There's a few areas in that department that she hasn't touched or worked in and, uh, rose up the honorable way, just, uh, one step after the other and has been the assistant chief long enough to know what's going on. I like her ideas about uh, uh, <clears throat> not wanting to, the police to be mental health officials, but wanting to be willing to work with mental health or addiction uh, experts, et cetera. Uh, her desire to, uh, if we ever have staffing that's appropriate, get to the uh, uh, community policing uh etc so I, I like all of her ideas uh i think she was the right choice and needless to say i know her personally so there's a little bit of that in there As a self-described sh- uh, straight shooter i do respect her greatly and i uh, uh certainly wish her well and i don't know exactly what the omaha 360 program is that she likes but uh I guess we'll all find out in due time. Any thoughts on all that, Matt? I uh,
3: ditto. I, I, I like this candidate for a lot of reasons. And, you know, right off the bat, um, you know, what, I, what it says to uh, officers of, of Columbia Police Department, I think, I think the choice uh, really signifies that, um, you know, we feel like Columbia Police Department is, is serving the community well. Um, I think it communicates, uh, you know, at the city manager level that the desire to continue to promote from within Uh, workforces is, is, uh, you know, is something that we all struggle with in the business community, keeping and retaining. And so that history of if we're if we're doing something right, let's go ahead and promote that that person that already knows the the internals of what's happening and and communicates that you can that you can grow and you can stay here in Columbia. I, I like that a lot.
2: Well, her, her challenge, in my view, is a significant one. Uh, I think we are now to the point of having 37 to 40 positions open. Mm-hmm. This is a crisis level right now, and this city council needs to get serious about doing something about it. Uh, platitudes and pious discussions are no longer going to cut it. Uh, we have an emergency developing uh And she can't do this alone. She's got to have the right pay uh, uh, set up, uh, uh, avoid pay compression. that has been a problem in City Hall and uh, get people hired and trained and most importantly, valued. They always know when they're valued and when they're not. Uh, You don't have to be men's of material to figure out if someone truly values what you do or if they're just talking uh, the good talk. So uh, I do hope that She gets the support she needs from the city manager and others, but also the city council and and, uh, stop the bleed, fix this thing, and get us uh, uh, the police department we deserve in a in a a great city that is on the edge of burning out officers.
3: You know, I I think it's you know I've got a, a couple of friends in Southwest Missouri who are members of the Highway Patrol, and this has not been. Um, you know uh, the, their best years. It's it's incredibly difficult uh, to be a law enforcement officer in today's age. Uh, I'm I am certain that if we would have hired one of the other candidates, albeit um, there was those are those are polished individuals. Uh, I thought Jill's messaging along the way and the way in which she uh, described her vision and goal was was. Um, was as well actually i think it was better than than the candidates who have been in the interview pool for for a long time and and i think that if we would have hired any of the other candidates we would have we would have saw staffing be even worse than what it is now
2: well the uh <clears throat> I, I do think there's valid criticism of the uh, city manager that he talks a good game and talks about new faces etc but uh it seems like every single time and i don't want to dig around and come up with all the different jobs he's filled mm-hmm. he always goes to the internal candidate uh and i'm sure that in a lot of those cases there was probably somebody better out there somewhere else i don't think that was the case here and that's why i think this was a good ire but i am uh, certainly troubled uh by the consistent pattern he, he's had uh of uh the easy way out i guess is the way i would put it i'm, I'm not uh, accusing him of being lazy or anything like that i'm just saying uh, surely somebody out there could uh, bring a new perspective in and in a, a a major job in the city now and then. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a that's a valid question,
3: and and I just think the mechanics of it. You know, what what are you trying to communicate from by hiring from from outside, or what are you trying to to do from hiring from inside? There's a lot of strategy tied to that, but uh, I agree with you, Bob. This is this is one of those where we made the right decision, and Columbia will be better for it
2: well and the thing i appreciated about jill she has good political horse sense she uh was trying mightily behind the scenes during the tenure of ken burton the mm-hmm. police chief that uh uh didn't turn out so well she gave him good advice over and over again he unfortunately rejected it or ignored really? it but it, uh she uh uh she had great ideas for him and uh so she'll put that into play for herself. So good luck to her. To me, it's totally irrelevant that she's the first woman police chief. What is relevant are her qualities and her character. I, I love that, Bob. I, I love the qualities and character. I, you
3: know, in, in my world, I think we've we've all got a window that we look out of. And so, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of people who are excited about her being the first female police chief in Columbia and i I appreciate the fact that now um people who may not have thought that they would that they could do this job or they've never considered being uh, a police chief um, in a in a role that's typically you know it's typically been male dominated dominated i think i think it's i think it's good i think it's good for for young women and and now it's time that that she gets to do the job
1: four four two eight two five five is the telephone number and we do have a caller. You're on, good morning, you're on the Sunday morning roundtable on KFRU.
2: Omaha 360 is a plan that was devised up in Omaha, Nebraska. They were having a lot of crime problems. The police department, several city groups, civic groups, and religious groups got together through some conferences and came up with some plans to thwart criminal activity. And I take it it works. It does work, and it was cited by Jill in her interview and also the gentleman from Kansas City as a, as a
0: model to go by, and I hope they can initiate that. Thank
2: you. Thank you uh, for uh, uh, telling us the details of that. Uh, we, I appreciate that, and it sounds like it's a great program, but we definitely ought to fund properly and uh, follow through, and Jill will do that if you just provide her the resources she does what she says she's going to do if she is given the resources thanks caller uh matt uh other news uh, locally uh robin winneker of course has been on the uh, uh university of missouri board of curators for i guess a couple of years and she's just been uh, uh named uh, by the vote of the full board to uh be the chair of the uh uh board of curators uh, probably starting at the first of the year i'm not sure when her start date is but that's a great honor for her very well deserved i know her i have great respect for her it's also very good for uh columbia missouri boone county missouri and and certainly the uh, flagship uh, university right here in town because uh, she's columbia born and raised her business is here she knows an awful lot and uh, works very hard so uh, kudos to her uh that'll that'll be good for the university it'll be good for us
3: yeah, i think she communicates so well like this is a woman who is so succinct and on message um and also you know i think i really like her rural connections um her knowledge of the farming industry as well as as being a member of columbia but great great one for for
2: the community again i'm liking yeah.
3: your news stories today bob
2: the, uh, a couple of other things happened. This was in St. Louis, of course, just a regular meeting of the Board of Curators, and a couple of other interesting things happened there. Uh, they approved the forty-three million dollar veterinary medical expansion project. Uh, this is state funded; it, it's a big deal. It'll replace the uh, current veterinary medical center, which has uh, been around since the seventies. So they're upgrading and modernizing. It'll it'll fall into place and be completed. I think about two thousand twenty-six. We have a highly rated uh, veterinary medicine school, among other highly rated schools, such as nursing, Uh, and this is an an important uh, step forward to uh, enhance that program, so uh, uh, people should follow that with interest. It's a big deal, and hopefully uh, it will (coughs) help us uh, not only take care of small animals like our little pet at home, but also... uh, uh, the rural areas, farm animals, et cetera, where we have a little bit of an issue
3: more more than a little bit of an issue i mean i think you know I think about my my own my own life and and our our family connections. Uh, I have a daughter who lives in the Richmond Lexington area uh, there's There's one veterinarian within you know, a, an hour and they don't they don't travel to the farm. I mean and so you know I think when we're when we're looking at you know our food supply, we think about um, you know how we, how we take care of our pets and our loved ones but I mean this is this is a significant issue when when farmers can't uh, take care of the animals that are that are there to to feed us so I, I think we, we've got to do more of this.
2: Yeah. I think everybody's pretty knowledgeable that that is a major issue and Mm -hmm. something has to be done. So that's good. Another big issue that came out of that meeting, this came up, uh, uh, I'd never heard about this before, but they heard a presentation of a proposal for a so-called Center for Energy Innovation, uh, which will come back uh, next year sometime for presentation and approval. Uh, Anyway, Dr. Choi told them that it, uh, it's a convergence I guess of energy technology. He said he he would expect to see a 25% increase in federal funding of the as a result of the research that would take place there that it's uh, kind of the project that gets spun off thanks to the early success of the next gen operation so uh just another pretty big deal really uh as he said, the next gen was uh, built for collaboration, and here's here we go again. So uh, uh, it, used to it be, it'll be about 160 million dollar deal.
3: You know, it's it's interesting to see the shift, right? It used to be publish or perish, and now it's 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 partnership and or perish.
1: Uh, I think you're to something there. I, I,
3: yeah, I love the innovation, and I love that it's happening right here. Yeah.
1: Let's take a break. We'll do that, and come back with more. It is. The Sunday Morning Roundtable on 98.9 FM, 1400 a.m. KFRU. We're back after these messages.
0: We'll be right back with more of the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 a.m. KFRU. Now, back to the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM at 1400 a.m. KFRU.
1: 831, it is the Sunday Morning Roundtable 989 FM 1400 a.m. KFRU. Bob, go ahead.
2: Well, the uh, uh tomorrow of course is a City Council meeting and uh Matt, that's the day that uh uh the uh well andrea Weiner, who of course is moving to a different ward is resigning and uh, she will be thanked and recognized of course by her fellow council members and i'd like to uh say a word of appreciation uh i would not always agree with her votes but i appreciate her willingness to run or willingness to be put herself in the public eye and be a public official and she suffered a uh, uh a medical issue and uh, so uh, I have respect for her and I wish her well, obviously. Uh, eight candidates. Uh, uh, we had four for quite a while, and at the last minute, we got four more. Uh, mm-hmm. And the eight are S- Susan Re- Renee Carter, uh, former president of uh, Race Matters Friends, Rachel Prophet, uh, associate professor of occupational therapy at MU, and active in the roll card issues. Lisa Meyer, a candidate for the seat and a small business owner, really a broker. Bill Moyes, a retired volunteer who's done quite a bit of of, uh, volunteer work. A woman named Cornelia Williams, former volunteer for the Citizen Police Review Board and Housing Authority. A man named Frederick Saffold, a small business owner, don't know his business. Robert Schreiber III, um, um, MU building maintenance mechanic and a... uh, uh, union member and Lucio Martino Batoy the fourth benefit pro- program technology uh, technician excuse me with the family support division so maybe the uh, council members can figure out who the appropriate choice is for that interim seat and uh, make a good choice for us uh, we need that seat filled we need seven people voting you know
3: councilperson Wainer led through some really difficult personal situations and you know just just the timing of of all of that i just can't imagine taking the public scrutiny the time that it takes to prepare to be a city council person and then to to manage all of that on a on a personal side so i really i really do wish her well and i appreciated her transparency uh, of just the normalizing all of those things together, I think it it, it really describes uh, our you know what what our volunteer uh, council people um, you know work through all the time. Any uh, I've, I've heard nothing as far as who who might be that, that person. Any anything that you're hearing from behind the scenes, Bob?
2: Uh, zero, no, nothing at all.
3: You know, I, th- I think we both agree it'd be nice if that, per- you know, if whoever, whomever it is is someone who, you know, isn't planning on running again. But um, I- I'm interested to see
1: who that is. We do have a phone caller. Let's go back to the lines. four four two eight two five five. Good morning. You're on KFRU.
5: Good morning, gentlemen. Um, this is for, well, uh, for all of you, but uh, especially for Bob. Um, Bob, I, um, I just want to thank you for all of your uh, years. Of, i'll call it service <laughs> to do the morning uh, the sunday morning roundtable, and your kindness your thoughtfulness your shout outs sharing your knowledge and most importantly your respect for others
2: well that's so kind of you thank you very much i uh i think you're a long-term listener and uh, yeah. you call periodically too so that's uh, yeah. much appreciated thank you very much
5: Well, thank you, and Mm. uh, enjoy your retirement from radio.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Second retirement, really. Okay.
5: Thanks so much for the call.
2: Appreciate it.
5: Bye
2: bye. Bye. uh, Matt, there was uh, another, uh, well, it was a Missourian article that caught my eye recently. It says MU football success boosts downtown Columbia business. And. Uh, Various business owners, uh, restaurant, bar owners, and uh, others all comment that a successful football team and program does wonders for the local economy, that uh, more people show up, more people come on Friday instead of Saturday, people come from out of town. Uh, It's really... Uh, kind of a, well, you can see it. You know, you can just tell. It's not like you have to be genius level to figure out that uh, the that the town's just a lot more active and a lot more people. I you could all... feel it last night. I mean, oh, yeah. the
3: the number of people who were in town that that were enjoying the game that were here using our restaurants, our hotels. Um, man, it's 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 palpable.
2: Yeah, and uh, I want to be. I want to say something nice about all of our 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 locals uh i keep hearing that uh uh, fans uh, supporting other teams like the florida people et cetera, but all the people that show up are very much they very much appreciate the the way they're treated here in columbia it's midwest nice i know all that but uh Apparently, the Convention Visitors Bureau people get a lot of comments from these fans saying, we really appreciate how how we're treated so well in Columbia, Missouri. We love this town, and we'll be back.
3: You know, Columbia, I, I remember the first time I was in Columbia when I was 18 years old and, and was drawn to it, and, and everything about that experience brought our family back in 2019. It's a, it's a great place place to live. And and I, you know, speaking of MU football, I mean, it wasn't maybe sixty days ago that we had the the ribbon cutting at the at the Mer, and you know the you know what was the governor's comment? It was it was about MU football right off the bat, and, yeah. and him and President Choi were making some predictions of where we would end the season at. And hats off to you know Dr. Choi. He was he was right where we were going to end up.
2: One to go. Uh, uh, one nice thing about that whole issue of the the, the importance of athletic success, particularly uh, men's basketball and and football, uh, you'll recall uh, when Dr. Choi was here about uh, oh, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. we asked him about that. Uh, I think Steve Spellman was here with me that day, and uh, about the importance of is there really value there? And of course, he had the usual bromides uh, that are true that the whole state pays attention uh alumni tend to give more money Mm -hmm. uh to get more interested in university they want to be more supportive and then he he dropped this one on us applications for next year for uh, the freshman class is up 15 percent
3: you don't see that in higher education today's
2: rarely Mm -mm. yeah you have Mm -mm. to have some special mojo as the the pool of uh uh high school graduates is going down, the numbers and the percentage of those graduates that want to go on to higher ed is going down, as so many go to uh oh apprenticeships, trade schools, however you want to define it, Missouri Tech, et cetera. Uh so to capture an increase like that uh is pretty outstanding and I would submit that as usual Dr. Choi is right that the athletic success has something to do with that. M I Z. C-O-U. <laughs> also, news going on. The, uh, out at the airport, they were ha- holding public meetings. This is the United States Postal Service. Uh, interestingly enough, I was a little worried they were going to close that facility out there. Uh, and they are going to save some money by moving part of what's going on there to a, a more regional uh, operation in St. Louis. So we will lose some jobs out there, but it won't be closed. And it still makes sense to keep that, uh, obviously, keep that uh, facility out there for uh, the work relating to the uh, central Missouri area. But I think 23 non-career positions uh, will be lost uh, as they try to save uh, uh, about $2 million, which you can certainly understand. If, the, if I'm all in favor of... Um, the post office figuring out a way to save money.
3: You know, any, any job in our community is uh, a valued, uh, you know, job uh, there. And I I lived in a town where we lost about 300 state jobs, um, you know, before I was, before I was here in Columbia. And, and you see, you see what happens when you lose positions that are, you know, benefited and retired and how that income stays. So I hate to hear
2: that, Bob um, it's, it's, it's never a good thing. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> I, I guess you could sort of call this a win. They didn't close the darn thing, which I was a little bit worried about initially. Yeah. And, uh, I think that means that the surviving structure and operation is here to stay for a long time. And that's particularly true since the, uh, uh, airport is on an upgrade right now. You can see it both in the amount of passengers and that kind of leads into the next story. Uh, I think tomorrow is a a contract uh, the restaurant contract is up at the city council also. I go out there to pick up uh, family uh, and I, I as I go in there i mean it's a, it looks great, it's efficient, but there's no restaurant well that's about to change i They're going to put in the, uh, it's a five year contract with something called Jackson Brothers of the North, whatever that is they'll o- operate a market. A hot food restaurant counter and a food cooler, and so I don't know how soon it'll get going, but uh, it will. Uh, I think uh, markedly increase the ambiance of the of the uh, of the airport. I mean, it's a good airport, good operating right now, I think, but that'll make it better.
3: Food service at the airport's tricky, right? I mean, we've got you know we've, we're an airport that's growing, but there there are these segments and times in which you you know which you've got travelers coming through, so um you know my question might be what's going to happen to the Quaker rice cakes i've i've grown to really enjoy those uh you know as i'm passing through <laughs> well we'll just have to wait and see <laughs> i'll see you at city council
2: <laughs> Yeah, exactly
3: you know as we as we think about uh you know the airport there was there was a, a story in the missourian about uh you know the ready annual meeting ready celebrating 35 years um, you know, the connection between ready and the airport, um, you know, is known and obvious. But I really like that story. Just starting to tell the the ready story, not about not solely about um, how ready I mean, which which does its purpose of promoting the airport, making sure that, you know, that that economic driver of our community is 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 seen nationally. Um, and, and telling that story, I like the fact that, you know, the, the Missourian was telling the story about, you know, how Ready is, is you know, attracting large scale businesses. But then, you know, Ready has taken this shift in the last couple of years that I think is, is pretty fascinating as, as the way in which it's also talking about entrepreneurialism and, um, you know, the, the, the upcoming uh, shops at Sharp End. Did you follow that story, any Bob?
2: Not very well. You'll have to explain. So. Yeah,
3: you know, so um, you know, the I've got a copy of it here. You know, one of the one of the things that you know we we're starting to see is, is the growth of the Ready Hub. So I just I just want to make sure that as, as we think about Ready, that people understand how accessible that organization is as a, a you know as as a branch of the city and how you know. Our driver of of the economy is is just as much about small business as, as large business, and that's a that's a place people can go if they've got an idea and they want to grow their 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 business influence.
2: Well, I think it's been a successful operation over the years, and uh, uh, a lot of a lot of businesses are in place now, thanks in part to the efforts of Ready,
3: Ready, Bernie Andrews. Twenty seven years he celebrated mm-hmm. this year within that organization. And uh, Stacy and and her vision, uh, we're a better city because of it. Are
2: they working on the old uh, IBM uh, property, the building and the nine and a half acre lot? I don't
3: I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I have not. At, you know, at the board meetings I haven't heard that recently. Um, but but anything's possible.
1: We're gonna take a break. Let's do that and come back for the final few minutes of this first hour of the Sunday morning roundtable on this Sunday, November nineteenth. It's ninety eight nine FM. 1400 a.m. KFRU. 98.9 FM, 1400 a.m. KFRU. We're back on the Sunday morning roundtable. Matt Gass and Bob Roper. Uh, Back to elections.
2: Uh, This week, uh, our state senator, whose term limited out, of course, that's Caleb Rowden. Uh, He announced uh, over at Logboat Brewery uh, at a gathering that he's running for secretary of state in the election next year you'll have competition from other state senators and other uh capable candidates i'm sure but he'll be a credible candidate and uh we'll see how that goes and betsy peters of the sixth ward did in fact turn in her signatures and i'm sure she will uh, uh she's got more than enough to ensure that she's on the ballot next uh, spring so uh, a couple of people we're familiar with and know are uh, uh
3: continuing to serve
2: yeah well yeah, wanting to in one case well both cases really you know yeah i'm i'm excited
3: to see that that betsy is uh is going to go ahead and 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 continue with another term i think it's i think it's good for council and yeah. given the number of people who are running on
2: short terms exactly
1: four four two eight two five five the phone number we have a caller good morning you're on kfru
2: Yes. Good morning. I don't mean to interrupt uh, the direction of your conversation here, but I did have a programming question. I was just curious with, uh, Bob stepping down, uh, if you can give us any information as to who we can expect on a go forward uh, basis as the regular host co-host, uh, haven't heard Mike Murphy on here for a few weeks. Is he still part of this program?
1: Uh, he is not. Uh, he took, uh, another opportunity and, uh, a good one for him. And, uh, we, we like Mike and, uh, uh, but he decided to move on to something else. In terms of this program, <clears throat> I can tell you that next weekend on Sunday, because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, it will be a best of, and we have a, a couple of things we'll play in this time frame, and then hopefully the first weekend of December. Uh, that's a work in progress, I guess, in terms of how we're going to move forward, but we'll have some announcements and be talking about that uh, across the week and on KFRU as we move forward here. Uh, after the holiday weekend, so we'll uh, uh, we'll have more information for you. And appreciate your call, Bob.
2: Okay, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks, caller. Uh, I noticed that uh, the uh, the Columbia's public transit system, of course, which has been troubled for oh gosh, uh, a generation is that fair? I don't know. It seems like it's been a while. Anyway, the city is uh, has hired a Kansas City-based consulting firm. To study strategies on increasing ridership uh pricing all the different things that would make a successful system i would suggest that they look at successful places like ames iowa that seems to have a good successful system i notice that they're also taking a look as part of that uh the, the city staff anyway is, is discussing implementing micro transit and that's an online demand the that allows riders to access transit from any location instead of a fixed stop as part of a uh an improvement in other words that maybe you could call that the uber approach which i've long thought might be an option that we ought to take a look at is uh uh you know I, i'm a 100 percent believer in public uh transit some people need to get to work or medical things or school et cetera, and they don't have the resources to have a automobile so i'm all in favor of it i just think it needs to be designed well and uh, i'm not 100 percent sure that uh, third party contract with an uber top type operator where you just pick people up and take them wouldn't be cheaper than those big buses and drivers and all that but i hope they i hope they do an in-depth review of this and not just some uh, once over
3: you know, it's, it's such a, we're such a difficult city because we're so spread out. Yeah.
2: Um, and the big university.
3: Un, un, university, um, you know, what people believe public transportation is uh, versus the the ways in the communities where you've really adapted to that. I, I, I'm interested to see what's happening. And I, I can't imagine the, uh, you know, a, an Uber style, um, you know, situation not being able to provide some better service.
2: Well, Uh, we it wouldn't be hard to see some improvements. Let's put it that way.
3: We used to send our staff, (laughs) uh, you know, to 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 go ride the bus to get, you know, part of their orientation. Our company was get on the bus, go to these three places, and then and then compare what the time that it took to do that versus being able to do that in their car. And and I mean, it would add two or three hours on what would normally be a simple thing. So. Mm We, we've got to do something. I just don't have an answer.
1: Four four two eight two five five. Once again, a caller. Good morning. You're on KFRU.
5: Good morning, gentlemen. I want to express my regret at the loss of Bob Roper. I am meant to be semi-partial because of his politics <laughs> resembling mine. But I, he has really been a great addition, and I believe he's the last of the originals. I, well, I don't know that he was an original, but when I started listening, uh, and of course lost David Shore and and uh, uh, the fellow whose home was another day, another Dave. He was a great loss. But um, I also have a question about Reddy. I have tried to find out what that acronym stands for, and I haven't been asking the right people. I guess, or else no one knows.
1: I think you've mm-hmm. caught up with the right person. Yeah,
2: it's—I uh, believe it's Regional Economic Development Inc. Yep, Institute Inc. Yep.
3: Regional
5: Absol- Economic Development. Well, that—that mm-hmm. that helps me understand what it what it's all about. Uh, I see these plaques around town, and I don't know. I don't understand. You know, just by saying "ready," I do, it doesn't mean anything to me.
3: Yeah, that's a that's but a great question, and I I just like the fact that that you're you're uh, you're you're saying, look, uh, Bob Roper is the original, and so I've never I've never met anybody who didn't think Bob was original. And uh, <laughs> well, <so. laughs>
5: well, I I don't I actually I don't know whether he was one of the originals, but I think he's been on there ever since I started listening. Yeah, and I even miss Al's
2: Thank you, ma'am, for the nice comments. Uh, I, I'm not an original, uh, one of the originals, if I can rephrase that. But I've been doing it for quite a while. I'd I'd say 15 or 20 to 20 years. Have enjoyed it.
5: Okay, I've, I've Thanks for lived your... in Columbia 30 years, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure when when the round table came on. I'm not even sure when I discovered it but it's it's been a great addition to my sundays well, thank you very much th- all of you thank
2: yeah. you thank you thanks man. for listening all the best to you and i appreciate your comments i noticed we started we've started getting delivery on those uh automatic uh, uh, waste delivery trucks that uh, will kick mm-hmm. off our uh uh roll cart system uh march 4th so I know they've ordered a bunch of roll carts. So those are coming in, and now we're getting the trucks. So let's uh, uh, let's see how the see if the city can make this work. Uh, it, uh, I have my doubts. Well, I, I, but I wish them the best. I,
3: you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's good. I mean, I, I just you know I've I've heard people talk about you know they put their trash in a roll cart. They move the roll cart out to the street. They take the trash out of their roll cart and they move the roll cart back in the house. And so I, I'm, you know, we, we've ordered ours, and, uh, you know, I, I look forward to, to a smooth transition with this. Hopefully everybody takes their, their roll carts and puts them back in their garage or up against their house when it's yeah, done.
2: I, I, I'm a hundred percent believer in the system. I, I just wish we had bid it out with uh, recognized, uh, operators like every other city of our size in Missouri does. I, I don't know why we have to think we can do a better job than, say, waste management or somebody like that. But uh, if we keep working at it, I guess it'll work. I'm a believer in the system. And, uh, and I particularly am a believer in it because of the staffing issues and the risk of injury to our uh, uh, personnel that we've had to endure uh, for so long, namely uh, work comp, uh, injuries, claims, et cetera. So it's the right thing to do.
3: Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I'm a I'm a believer in is the Thanksgiving holiday. So, uh, just a quick announcement: uh, the Powerhouse uh, Community Development Corporation they've they've taken uh, what used to be the Alameda Creighton's Thanksgiving meal, and they'll be serving uh, this Thursday from eleven to two at the Senior Activity Center on eleven twenty one Business Loop seventy. So, make sure that that information is getting out there.
2: Good point. Good point uh i guess we're getting close on time i did want to mention another thing with the football program the board of curators uh also uh passed a resolution uh initiating uh, some renovations to memorial stadium for uh mostly redevelopment of the north concourse uh facility enhancements uh, such as the uh, new video board on the north end of the stadium upgraded sound system and uh like i say a, a redevelopment of the non uh, the concourse above the hill so a pretty big deal and a great time to do it is uh, the interest level uh, levels at an all-time high and by the way the grassy knoll and the rock big m are not going anywhere those
3: oh, that's good the, to know that's yeah. good
2: to know so we might have a uh, citizen's revolt if something like that happened They're they're wise to leave that alone
1: well, I'm going to go back as we finish up this hour. We're going to wind around here, and uh, we'll, of course, get to our second hour of the program and uh, some guests that will be with us here on the Sunday morning roundtable. Back to Thanksgiving, one of the best things that Cumulus does happens on Tuesday, and that is our partnership against hunger. And we'll be at Schnook stores, IV stores, stores, uh, both Columbia and Jefferson City. It started uh, about the same time Bob Roper started on the Sunday morning roundtable, I think. But uh, it's been several years. The first one was KFRU only. We set up in the Snooks parking lot on Forum. I recall being there and people driving in, handing checks out there, You know, rolling the window mm-hmm. and down and handing out the checks. Great thing. It's for the, the yeah. food bank for Central and Northeast Missouri. And that's uh, coming up on Tuesday. All of our local programming on KFRU will be live from the Schnooks on Forum, and so we ask you to think about that and uh, participate with us in that special event. Again, one of the best things that we do uh, every year, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so this coming Tuesday. It is KFRU coming up to 9 o'clock. Back with more of the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable
0: podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 AM. KFRU.
3: Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend
1: OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The
0: quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. I get to walk into it a restaurant go I'm cheap as hell and you're not getting a tip live from Doug's budget <laughs> find out more by searching the stacking benjamins
5: podcast wherever you listen
0: now back to the kfru sunday morning roundtable podcast from news talk 98.9 fm at 1400
1: a.m kfru it is the second hour of the sunday morning roundtable 98.9 fm 1400 a.m kfru 908 bob roper and matt gas and we're back for the second hour bob well i'm pleased to welcome uh, as our guest today
2: uh, suzette waters she's chair of the board of the columbia public school board and she was elected to her position in uh, april of 2022 as i recall since you just told me (laughs) uh, in answering my question and also dr Uh, brian yearwood he's the superintendent of course he's been here since i believe june of 2021 am i pretty close on that dr yearwood Uh, yes sir okay all right well you can you can give me a b anyway maybe i'll fight for an a uh, down the road anyway welcome uh we have some issues to talk about and i'm so pleased that you're here i'd like to lead off by talking about your continuous school improvement plan. It's a three-part plan, and I like the different parts, and I'm particularly impressed that you not only have the plan and you're working on them, but you actually review progress on a regular basis. So I don't know who wants this one, but the uh, it's a matter of growth. Uh, in other words, attendance, I guess is what it is. Uh, keeping people in class... Uh, And, of course, uh, obviously achievement. So I I may have bumbled that one a little bit. So uh, whoever wants that one, uh, Suzette, why don't you start out? Sure.
6: Well, so our, our CSIP, our Continuous School Improvement Plan, it's the master plan for everything that we're working on. It's what we are thinking about. It's what drives our action steps. And it starts with our vision and our mission. So our vision is to be the best school district in the state. And our mission is to provide an excellent education for all students. So that is the overarching uh, sentiment that drives everything. And then our school goals, our our CSIP goals come out of that. So what we're focusing on is getting kids to school at least 90% of the time um, and then uh, helping them graduate and have long range facilities plans and then the goal two is the, uh, keeping them in class decreasing out of school suspensions by 50 percent over the next five years um and so is that like,
3: how are we doing with that
6: with with out of school suspension so much better they're 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 way 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 lower this year um behavior incidents are down and um, we compared them up to a, uh, up to a certain point um and if you give me a second i can pull up Presentation. We get presentations every month. The board gets a presentation <coughs> on something to do with the CSIP um, which is really helpful and kind of keeps us um, aware of what progress is looking like. Um, but our homeschool communicators have done a really wonderful job in um, getting kids um, communicating with families so that they they are aware. Um, so yeah. our, our OSS numbers. Um, are are decreased from you know by about half at this point. Um, and the Carla London and her team have been really working on the behavior behavior plan that is implemented to teachers. And we've done some professional development with teachers so they know how to handle incidents in class. Because if we can mitigate early behaviors with you know um, simple strategies like placement of your body next to the student and things like that if we can mitigate those early then they don't turn into behavior disruptions
3: I mean to to be able to reduce you know 40 50 percent of of out-of-school suspensions I mean that that allows opportunities for kids to continue to learn and be be in that school environment that's that's really impressive and I do
6: want to stress also it's not just that we're decreasing out-of-school suspensions behavior incidents are down so it's not like kids are still punching each other but we're letting them stay in class that's not happening the behaviors are reduced and so that and we're, we're learning how to mitigate those earlier recognize them earlier deal with them with with improved strategies so that it doesn't get so far that they need to be suspended if there's still vi- you know if there's violence we're still going to have to do what we're, we have to do we're going to keep kids but, safe right, right.
2: The uh, I know that there's been progress made on the attendance uh, area. That's one of the goals, I suppose. You're trying to get up to ninety-two percent or something like that, I believe. But
6: ninety percent, ninety percent of the time. So okay. Ninety percent of kids in the building, ninety percent of the time.
2: And uh, for accreditation, you have to have at least eighty percent, and we are above that now and rising, as I recall. So some progress right. has been made on that too
6: yeah we don't get points unless we hit 80 and we get like the more attendance you have the better the more points you get so um, we had not quite hit 80 last year We've, we were at 81.9 or 82 point you know we were at 81.9 we get now we're at 82.3 um, mm-hmm. as, at the, as of the last like the MSEP calculation it's, it's very complicated I don't understand yep. actually you know I'll go to a building and um, talk, they'll talk about attendance their daily attendance is much better and that is hundred percent parents getting their kids to school and homeschool communicators doing excellent work on the ground they've picked kids up they've met with families they call parents there's a lot of intervention going on to just to figure out like why aren't kids at school and get them there and it's it's been a very concerted effort
2: well, that's, <clears throat> that's incremental uh, improvement, but it seems to be consistent, and that's, to, that's good. Uh, Dr. Yearwood, I know you're also uh, – uh, you have this program called I-Ready. I believe that's what it's called. Yes. That's where you check test scores on a regular basis. I don't know if it's quarterly or whatever, but uh, in other words, it's measurement on a regular basis of, of uh, learning skills. And I realize that it's incremental it's not big jumps, but at least the progress is such, as I recall, that it's going up. Is that a fair statement?
4: Yes, absolutely. And and that's the purpose of having, um, we call them progress measures, to determine um, whether teaching and learning is actually being effective as far as our scholars are concerned. And what we've seen is that from the start, um, you know, a scholar may be at a certain level, but the expectation is that there's incremental increases in their learning and, and teachers are able to use the – information to adapt that instructional environment for each scholar. Um, and then we also have a scholar setting goals now um, to determine this is where I want to be in the profession of the academic learning. And that has been very, very powerful um, in, our, in our schools. So again, the iReady assessment provides that feedback for us. Um, we use it four times a year. And of course, it is based on standards that the state says we must teach. And the most important part is that we found a very strong correlation between iReady and or state testing data. They line up very, very well.
2: Is that the map score yes, type sir. stuff? Yes, sir. Yeah, the the results, particularly after the pandemic and uh, being away from school, were very dispiriting. So it's good to see that uh, uh, they're going in the other direction now, not not by leaps and bounds. No one's making that claim. But uh, it's like turning an oil tanker around It's it, it doesn't happen really quickly, but you can get it done. Absolutely. I don't know if that's the right uh, analogy, but that's probably the best I can do for now.
3: Yes. Dr. Yearwood, is it as simple as we want a student to, you know, get one year of, of growth or one lear- year of learning in in one year of an academic year? Is that, is, that what, is that as simple as that, or is there anything with COVID that has changed your goals there?
4: Yes. No, that's, that's what I call the minimal, minimal growth factor. The expectation is where we take a scholar wherever they are, and we are expected to grow them academically. So you may have a fifth grader that may be reading on a second grade level. The expectation is by the end of the year, minimally, they should be at a third grade level. Or you may have a fifth grader reading on an eighth grade level. Then you expect that scholar to be in the ninth grade level, at the end of the year. So the the factor that we're honing in on very, very deeply is growth factors. We want our scholars growing and learning.
2: I think the old uh, standard was that if at the third grade, if a child is not reading at a third grade level, they are very, very much at risk for the rest of their lives. And so uh, you inherited a lot of folks, uh, and I, I honestly blame the shutdown of the schools during the pandemic nothing we can do about it except try to fix it which you're doing but isn't that true that if if a kid is not reading a third grade level uh at in the third grade you got a real challenge on your
4: hands oh absolutely um yes they they tend to have a, a greater struggle in the academic environment because remember kinder through uh second grade and even into third grade some they're learning to read now starting in third grade onward they're reading to learn so if their skills aren't there to actually understand, comprehend, be able to break the information down, then it becomes a struggle because they're no longer in that realm of learning to read at those earlier grades.
3: So let me say that again, just to make sure that I'm I'm hearing you. Uh, from kindergarten through grade three, they're learning to read, and then third grade forward, they're reading to learn.
4: Yes, sir, that's absolutely right. Yes, they they have to. They're faced with you know being able to get information and. Uh, uh, act with that information, or act upon the information they receive once they get into third grade onward. And so the the struggle then becomes more intricate because they they're no longer being taught how to read. That happens in kindergarten, right. beginning of third grade.
2: Hard to play catch up, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah.
4: Well, I I know I know you're all working
2: at it. The uh, uh, if if you're going to initiate and be successful at all these major changes, and they are major, I think, uh, I mean, uh, is, I mean, it's uh, are you getting buy-in from teachers, staff, parents, students, etc.?
4: Um, yes, I, I feel that we we're, we're seeing more and we're hearing more um, from our schools, or teachers, or principals, or leadership um, about their sense of urgency, which is what we really needed. Was I did a sort of a call to action this. Uh, past week to to the staff where I ask us to really hone in and bear down on the academic growth factors. So yes, I I, I see that there is buying happening. We're even having um, principals are now having uh, meetings with their parents and their community at their schools. That's going on right now to actually talk about their plans for their schools, to talk about the data, to talk about ways that they can actually grow and improve their scholars. So that's going on as we speak.
3: Dr. Yearwood, would, would you and, and, and President Waters talk a little bit about uh, teacher retention? You all started something or brought something back that hadn't been done for maybe 20 years where you started this school year with a teacher convocation. To talk how that convocation is building upon all of these other strategies that you guys have got in place.
6: Well, um, first of all, thank you to our sponsors, Burl Behavioral Health and VU for sponsoring our, our speaker that day and to the university for letting us use uh, Mizzou Arena. It was I'm going to say it was like the most exciting thing I have seen since goodness since you know mizzou beat oklahoma <laughs> you know, it, was, it was a you know just there were there was a drum line there were cheerleaders there was music there were thousands of people there the schools were dressed up in their their matching shirts and it was like this excellent um feeling of camaraderie there were glow lights going on in the crowd i mean it was we had kids there sharing you know like young children sharing um what achievement means to them and and it was fantastic.
3: If anyone deserves a marching band and a drumline walking into the first day of work, like it is, it is our educators at Columbia public schools. And we were just a little part. And and I never imagined that that would come up in conversation, Mm -hmm. but like to bring business professionals, city leadership, all of this together, like the the staff were having a blast they, like they were tailgating ahead of time
6: Yeah, they did tailgate like <laughs> I, I,
3: like how did how did you guys like how did you why was the reason that you guys used that as the kickoff and what's what's the next thing
6: well doctor it was dr yearwood's vision so i'm going to let him talk about that but i have i mean We can always do more parties. I think we should. Yes.
4: You know, it's like when you bring the family to have that family reunion time and you want everyone to just come and have a great time and leave with that, you know, feeling of togetherness. And that was the the, the purpose. It was simply to bring our CPS family together to celebrate, to just have a good time and to say, hey, this is going to be a phenomenal school year. And you're right. I mean, the tailgating that happened was second to none. It was almost like going to a Mizzou football game, um, you know, and then the, the, just the atmosphere inside is the drum lines, the chill, everything. And that's what we, we have to celebrate our teachers or staff, the hard work that is going on, because there's so much that they do, I call it, that we don't see. There's mm-hmm. so many sacrifices that our staff or teachers or principals are doing. And to me, this is by the bit of saying, hey, let's come together as a family, as one school system as a CPS family and celebrate together.
6: Yeah, I use the word team. I like a lot of times when I'm speaking to groups, I, I refer to us as Team CPS, and that's yeah. how that that's how that day felt, and that's how I feel about the work that we're doing. Like I'm on your team. We're all on the same team. We all succeed together.
2: I really like the idea of what you're talking <coughs> about. My mother was a long-term teacher, and I saw every night that the the work didn't end at uh, the end of the school day it continued in the evening and sometimes on the weekends and so i particularly appreciate the uh, the way you're valuing teachers and substitute teachers for all the uh, hard work they do and uh, 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 they need to be valued because the it's not a big pay type uh,
4: career but it can be a very satisfying career yes and uh, we want to go bigger and better next year Hmm. I'm not sure how just yet, but, you know, we're, we're putting all sort of minds together, and we, we want it to be an even bigger celebration. So, uh, again, that's in the works as we speak. That
2: was nice mm-hmm. that the university agreed to do that. Oh, sorry. You got Go something, Mark? Go Finish up, please. We're going to take oh, a break. Okay. Yeah, it's a, uh, I was. think it's significant that the university collaborated with you on that. That's a That was a nice gesture.
6: Yeah, and the president of the university was yeah. even there. Yep.
3: Dr. Choi, his workman's comp. people are going to yell at me for saying this, but like, like his, like, I, I remember him jumping off of like a, a balcony to get down on the floor to, to celebrate teachers. That was the coolest thing I've, I've seen in a long time.
1: We do need to take a break. We're going to do that and be back with more on the Sunday morning roundtable. It is 98.9 FM, 1400 AM KFRU.
0: We'll be right back with more of the KFRU Sunday morning roundtable podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 AM KFRU. Now back to the KFRU Sunday morning roundtable podcast from News Talk 98.9 FM at
1: 1400 AM KFRU. 929, it is the Sunday morning roundtable on this Sunday, November 19th. And we continue on on KFru ninety FM fourteen hundred AM. Bob Roper and Matt Gas and our guests this morning: Suzette Waters and Dr. Brian Yearwood. Bob, Suzette, let's um, go to Matt.
3: I'm gonna I, let me jump in here. I've got a question that I'm I'm really excited to ask. So so far in the hour, you know, we've talked about strategic planning and employee engagement. Uh, a lot of this really comes through the work of the board. And I know that there are a couple of uh, important announcements that you need to make uh, around some board vacancies. And and there's some dates that we as a a community need to remember. Can you give us some of that information?
6: Sure. So um, every, you know, the municipal election every single year, we we have at least two candidate seats that are open. Um, It rotates. But this in April, we'll be electing two people to the school board. Um, we may or may not have an incumbent at this point, Jean has not declared publicly if she's going to run or not, but, um, Ms. Hayes has said that she will not, she will not run again for her seat. So there will will be electing two seats. Jean
2: uh, Snodgrass. Jean Snodgrass.
6: Yes. Thank you for, (laughs) I see her so much. I just call her Jean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so filing opens for those seats on December 5th, Tuesday, December 5th. And on that day, people can come to the board office on Worley Street between eight and five. They do not need an appointment on that day. It does, that's available for walk-in. Okay. From December sixth to twenty-first, filing is open, but appointments must be made with our board secretary. And all that information is on our website. It's actually pretty easy to find. And then the last day of filing this year is on December twenty-sixth, which is a holiday. Uh, but Noel is going to be um, in the building between 3 and 5 p.m. for walk-in appointments on that final day. Um, another thing we're going to do this year is have a candidate workshop. So kind of like a school board 101 okay. um, that's going to be led by a couple of current school board members. Um, and that's going to be December 14th from 6 to 7 p.m. At, um, at Aslan at the, at the board office. And that's just going to be. Uh, we'll be sharing the dates that the board meets, the committees. You know, like kind of a calendar. We'll be talking about, um, you know, things the school board member can do and can't do. Um, just to and and hopefully leave a lot of time for Q and A because I think there's a lot of mystery still out there about you know what the school board does and what we can do. Um, and if I could just mention. Um, from a personal standpoint you know i'm going to have to get to work get to work with these people and what i would say is if you have a passion in your heart for serving children and making this district the best it can be that is the number one qualification that's that's the main thing you need to have yeah
2: well said thank you A uh, question that I, that I just i want to pursue that is uh, troubling to me uh, there was an article in the news i believe it was in the missouri not too long ago and i don't know which school it happened at but a student brought a uh, a loaded gun in a knapsack into the high school building and i believe it was the 13th or 14th time this year something like that had happened not necessarily all uh, firearms but uh, uh weapons and obviously uh that is a very, very concerning and worrying thing. I know it's, Suzette, I'll start with you on that one because it's uh, kind of a board policy. You you all are in charge of the checkbook, and uh, uh, you know, I know you're wrestling with this, so tell me your concerns, uh, your thoughts about uh, how we uh, make sure that uh, our students are safe.
3: Suzette, I just saw you take a deep breath and sigh, and I know that you and I are both thinking about Uh, our kids that are in the district i mean this is as a board member passionate for kids this is this is an important thing for you
6: yeah um so i i've had two children go through the district my younger child is a senior at hickman now um and i have personally experienced um incidents where there have been loaded guns brought on the campus of hickman where my children were um and felt that panic like you know should i should i go get them should i let him go to school today. What what's going on? And just that, I think, as a parent, I feel that having having a having a shooting incident happen at one of our schools is the very worst thing I can imagine. Um, and I think we are being naive if we don't think it could possibly happen here. Gun violence is not a school issue it is a community issue it is frankly an American issue it is an issue that is um, unique to American schools Um, one thing that I feel strongly about that we can do to prevent uh, the incidence of firearms in our school is to encourage the safe storage of weapons so if people legally own a firearm which they have the right to do they need to lock them up securely. Um, it is estimated that fifty-four percent of gun owners don't lock their guns up, um, and more than three-quarters of school shootings happen with weapons that were acquired from the shooter's home or the home of a relative. So, if you put those numbers together, we have a we have a great capacity to affect change just by locking our guns up and i think that is something that we need to be more serious about um cps is in the process of coming up with some safe storage messaging in conjunction with the city and with cpd um it, it is um there's a there's a overwhelming support for you know common sense storage um initiatives and
3: that's what we're talking about. There's a balance. There's a balance between um, the the need to protect and giving away too much information that you put students, scholars, and other people at risk by sharing what future measures might be. Doctor Yearwood, are there any are there any additions that you want to add, or any other any other measures that the district is looking and putting in place that that we should know?
4: Yes, um, and before we get to that, I just want everyone to know that the safety of our scholars and our staff is our number one priority. Um, We do not take that very, very lightly. And so we are engaging in conversations with the city, um, with different entities to determine ways that we can be proactive. And a part of that um, is, of course, looking at what's going on in our community because our schools are a reflection of our community. And the more that we can have our community engaging in conversations around safe storage, engaging in conversations around uh, preventing uh, guns from getting in the hands of um, individuals, um, that would be very, very helpful. Um, So we must be able to uh, have those conversations. And and also, um, we've done several things in our schools. We call hardening of our schools to make sure that they're more resistant to any sort of violence, and we're continuing to do that. Um, we're looking at, for example, our, our gun detection systems. The University of Missouri has um, deployed and we've uh, been in, co- in conversation with them about the success of their system, and we're looking at that for our schools because, again, a number one priority must be the safety of our scholars and our students all day, every day.
2: See, the, uh, the detection systems, I think, are very, very expensive. That, uh uh, that's my understanding, anyway. And of course, we have a lot of schools. Uh, you'd start with the high schools, obviously. But uh, uh, I would, my own view is that uh, uh, this is something that, uh, if there's any way possible to find the money to do this, it needs to be done.
6: I'm. I know there's some grant funding that we've gotten for some safety measures, and there's hopefully going to be some additional funding through grants because it is. You're right. I mean, it, it is extremely expensive, and we have to we have to provide for the safety of our scholars. But we would prefer to spend our budget on teachers and instruction. So, you know, it, it's yeah, we have to do all those things exactly. <laughs> with the same money. This,
2: this you just is don't want to have a bad statistic in your schools.
6: Hmm?
2: You just don't want a bad statistic in your schools.
6: Absolutely, a bad not. outcome. Absolutely
2: let's, not. Let's, let's
3: move uh, to health and well-being, but maybe not uh, such a heavy topic, because I know there's more to come to this, and we want to we have you back and talk about that sure. as things progress. Dr. Yearwood, you've got a pretty strong commitment to um, health care for students. Uh, we've you've, your, de- your staff has recently uh, named the health clinic that will be coming in January the Scholar Clinic. Talk to us a little bit about what your vision is there and and what that clinic's going to become for you.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, our, our, as we look at our, com- our uh, comprehensive school improvement plan or strategic plan, five-year plan, um, one of the main purposes that's listed there is every decision focusing on our scholars first, and this is but one instance of that. Um, we want our scholars in school, right? We we want them in their, their school 90% of the time, but if they're not receiving adequate medical care, if they're not having... Uh, medical care in a timely manner, then obviously they will be missing school and we know the negative effect that has. So with the health clinic, this will be available to all CPS scholars. They can have appointments, they can walk in, uh, they can uh, have um, collaboration with the school nurses. So this is in-house. This is our medical clinic to help all of 18,800 scholars that may desire desire that uh, help. Not only are we doing, will there be... um, a medical clinic, there'll also be a, a optometrist on board that can actually check for eyes, and there'll be opportunities for scholars to receive glasses and things like that, because we want to make sure that we have these wraparound services. We talk about the mental, we talk about the cognitive, but then we're also looking at the physical and ensuring that our scholars are well and can receive information. And this is one way, and I'd like to thank um, Burrell and Brightly for um, sponsoring this uh, huge um, uh, investment in our scholars i want to say i'm deeply deeply appreciative of that
3: you know i i think that you know when we look at systems of care and we think about how people interface i mean this was an idea that you brought to brought to the community um, as as part of a chamber of commerce leadership trip You've got some experience with health clinics and other, and other communities and, and awareness there.
4: Yes, yes. In my um, past, uh, most recent uh, school district, we had a health clinic, and very, very helpful. Scholars were able to get uh, into the doctor quick time, they didn't have to go home, or didn't have to sit for five hour, uh, no, a few hours waiting um, to see a doctor, but it, it, everything happened very quickly. And you're right. Um, this started because of a Chamber of Commerce visit. Um, um, myself, Mr. Gass, actually... On that trip together, and as we sat and we were talking about how what can we do to serve our scholars better, this idea this uh, started flowing. So, um, definitely appreciative of that, and very excited. I think we should be seeing uh, an opening coming up in the early spring. So, very very excited about that.
3: More more information to come.
2: Uh, I don't know who wants to take this one, but uh, to me, there was a significant item in the paper recently. Uh, you inked a deal with uh, a company called Cooperative Strategist, LLC. Uh, it's basically about the realigning the district, uh, you know, population changes and periodically you have to realign everything. That will be of great interest to parents, I'm sure.
6: I think that, it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I would think that, <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that, I think that won't <laughs> even be a sleeper issue. <laughs> yeah. So would you uh, t- comment on that?
6: I'd be happy to. So we, uh, the board approved a deal with cooperative strategies to help us do our planning for the next several iterations of of boundary changes. Uh, the first one is not going to take effect until the fall, but we're going to vote on that in April. And that's that's going to be a small one that'll have to do with the Russell edition, which is getting finished up, which is, it, it was supposed to be done by now, but because of COVID and, you know, everyone knows that it's impossible to hire a plumber and all that <laughs> get, right. you know, delays in, in supply chain and all that. Um, but what's important for the community to know is that there are going to be multiple opportunities to participate in focus groups, in surveys, in giving the district feedback. Um, once some kind of uh, scenario plans are mapped out, there are going to be a couple different options that are presented, and the board is um, very willing to listen to feedback on that, and we realize, you know, m- we're al- almost all of us are parents ourselves. We realize that changing boundaries is an emotional thing. Um, you know, kids want to go to school with their friends. They want to go to school with their baseball team. They want to they want to be able to walk. And so, so true. We are going to have to balance um, maintaining social groups, maintaining neighborhood schools, and also keeping an eye on um, making sure that we're utilizing our buildings. <laughs> you know, we we want to. We want to keep kids in their same school, but we also don't want to build a brand new building and have it be empty because no one wants to move. Right. So,
3: Did, am, am I right? Are those stakeholder meetings? They're happening in January and February. Is that is that right? I think so. But
6: so there's going to be focus groups in January and February. Um, but the feedback period is is going to start as soon as Cooperative Strategies can get something early out to us, like the demographic. Surveys. So we'll, you know, there will be city and county government and developers and parents and teachers, and we'll, we'll be getting feedback from lots of different groups.
3: And I think I heard from uh, your COO that uh, this is a known entity and organization. They've helped you with other. Correct. Okay.
6: Yes. They've done demographic studies for us a couple of times. The most recent one that we got was March, um, but things have changed a little bit since then. We want to get the most up to date information before we start. Uh, you know, wiggling things around.
3: All right, we need to take a break. This is News Talk ninety eight nine FM fourteen hundred AM KFRU. We'll be back after these messages.
1: Ninety eight nine FM fourteen hundred AM KFRU. Back for our final segment of this Sunday morning roundtable.
2: Doctor Yearwood, a question for you. Uh, it's acknowledged, really, by leaders all over the state of Missouri, the governor on down, public and private sector, that uh, Missouri is facing a real workforce development uh, problem. I don't know if I'm going to call it a crisis yet, but it's a very significant problem uh, throughout the state. And let's face it, if you're going to try to uh, entice uh, people to bring their companies here, uh, to germinate here and stay here, uh, you need to have, have a skilled workforce. And I know that the district is working pretty hard locally to make some improvements in that regard, uh, which I think is a pretty good success story. Could you talk about that a little bit?
4: Sure, yes. Um, Through uh, what we call the Columbia Area Career Center, or CCC, they've been a a catalyst in helping the community members and, of course, our high school students acquire what we call skills to perpetuate that um, development um, in their career skills. Um, And they've done a great job. Uh, Governor Parsons, when he visited back in 21, you know, he gave great uh, kudos to the Career Center as being a model for those in the state. So they're specialized programs that exist um, within the Career Center that allows our scholars to receive certain levels of certification. Um, three of the programs that mentioned are mentioned, of course, are welding, um, automotive, and um, as they look at or, um, technology or IT um, perspective or scholars can actually take courses and what we see happening is if they can take, stay in and take courses in those areas for three years then they receive what is called a certificate of proficiency that tells uh, employers hey this is someone that has necessary skills that could come in not at the entry level but come in at a higher level and then there have been success stories that have existed as well um, as we look at um, programs for example in, in automotive or scholars um, can now Um, go in and they can take national certification tests and become qualified. And as a matter of fact, we have scholars right now, um, right after graduation, are being hired by local companies or the Mercedes company or Joe Mackens, um, the Subaru company. We have um, scholars that are working there because of that um, ability. We also have um, areas um, that deal with welding and the certifications that allowed uh, welders, the scholars coming out because of the coursework and have them starting at $25, $30 plus an hour, not a necessarily entry-level positions. So we are very, very excited about that. Um, we have students uh, that are receiving, um, what do you call it, uh, recognition. We have Lainey Ricker, uh, who does uh, digital media. He was involved with what you call an organization called the Future Business Leaders of America and um, because of his work there, um, he's able to um, receive national recognition and be able to be, uh, what we call it, able to get into his career very, very, or she she's able to get into the, her career in a very, very, um, not at the ground level, but at a level that allows the income to be at a higher level. So again, we're also looking at other avenues to expand in our career. We're not just satisfied with um, what we have uh, existing. Right now we're exploring the aviation industry um, we're looking at uh, developing certain levels of partnerships because um, there are companies coming in that are talking about uh, allowing individuals to come through and get their commercial pilot's license, and we know that's about eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 entry level positions and so on. So they're, they're, this, um, we're, we're continuing to explore that because we're not satisfied with the status quo, but our career center has done a magnificent job in allowing our scholars to acquire those skills, and we want to expand that even further.
3: You know, one of the one of the questions that I've heard recently is, you know, we we talk about the ten percent that of students that aren't attending school, you know, as, as much as we would like for them to, and we talk about, you know, how we how we lift up some of the folks that are in the in the greatest fringes of of our you know our our public school kids, um, and we don't we don't often talk about as a district or we don't communicate out, what are we doing for the majority of the kids? And I think this workforce question really, really ties to that.
4: So um, when, uh, what we are attempting to do even more is begin the process at the elementary level. Um, We've now engaged in a program called project Lead the way where we're exposing the scholars at the elementary level to start exploring or having some level of um, access to seeing what's happening out there in different careers and uh, that's also been expanded to the middle school level and of course the high school level. In addition to that, um, we are partnering with the Chamber of Commerce and the Show Me Careers program which is very, very powerful. I think the first year we started with 10 or 15 teachers who spend their summer time going out and visiting different industries, different um, uh, career opportunities in our community. And then the, the expectation is that those teachers would take that back to their school, take it to their classrooms, engage with their scholars on what they've learned. Um, last year, I think they were at a 40-plus, a few. Um, this year, the plans are to take it to 80-plus teachers, and that's because of the work we're doing with Chamber of Commerce. and uh, Matt, uh, Mr. Matt McCormick has been um, very instrumental in that. We have our on-the-ground liaison in you know, CPS, Adam Taylor, that's working with them. And it's going gangbusters. So when we think about that, we're thinking about not only uh, talking to our scholars about different careers and showing them pictures, but teachers can now actually articulate what they're seeing and learning and um, being able to even set up visits because some of these industry partners that they visited have actually come to the schools and they've done small job fairs for them and they've done things in their classrooms. So again, we're doing everything possible to expand the, the horizon for expand the, um, the the opportunities and the learning that happens for scholars in that arena.
3: Yeah, I saw some I saw some images of a group of teachers that were welding um, or or soldering copper pipe together. You know, I, I think like I, my my history teacher would have never had that experience to share with me about here, here's a here's a good job in the community where where you can make eighty or a hundred thousand dollars a year right out of high school.
2: Yes. And, and, and no debt.
4: Absolutely. no, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I know that on the academic side, we have the dual credit program, but it's exciting to see what we're doing on the career side. And there must be a good balance because, you know, we know that not every scholar is destined to go to college um, and don't want to go to college. That's okay. But we have opportunities that would allow them to make a great living and support their families. And that's what we're about, making sure that all scholars have, um, have opportunities.
3: That growth of of understanding for all of us that you know school is more than just reading, writing, and arithmetic. That this is this is about preparing young people to become young adults and to make a, a, a strong living for themselves. Absolutely, yes.
2: One of the uh, unfortunate byproducts of the closure of the school system here and elsewhere is uh, what I'll call social emotional skills. Not only uh, did students uh, suffer from uh, uh you know learning but also these skills there was an article not too long ago in the Missourian about how uh there's a program that you have going to help kids recover in that regard i think a lot of it frankly is just being back in school and socializing with other uh, uh kids their age etc but can you talk about that and the the markers that uh, improvement is happening.
4: Yes. So um, as we look at uh, social emotional learning, um, it, it falls under the child development realm um, where each child has a certain level of we call it social cognition. Um, Their behaviors that they learn actually comes from a lot of interaction with peers and actually teachings within the school. And when that was taken away, then obviously the the, the how to acting school, how to behave in school, sort of went out the window, and now we are having to reteach, and scholars are now having to relearn what it takes to be in a school environment. So we have different schools that have um, embarked on a variety of programs. Um, One um, second step, um, the other one uh, um, deals with restorative practices and so on. Um, But again, these are but one part of how we are building our scholars back. We're teaching them about certain things and coping mechanisms and how to interact with each other, how to deal with bullying, how to deal with, you know, <coughs> there's a variety of behaviors that are not healthy within the schools. Um, and That's an ongoing process because it seems like we're starting over. You know, it's one thing when they leave you for the summer and they come back two or three months, but here we had them gone for a year or more, and the difficulty now is having our scholars understand and and uh, sort of go through that um, social-emotional development piece that happens. And 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 we're on the way when we look at our data. Um, that's why we see now um, a reduction in our out-of-school suspensions. That's almost um, we reduced our elementaries by about 42% um, or secondaries by about 32%. When we see our, uh, our in-school suspension rates actually dropping, that tells that we are having a net effect on that. Um, one key piece I must add um, as we look at social-emotional learning is, of course, building off relationships because um, regardless of which program we have, if our scholars don't feel a part of school, they're not going to do school. So our teachers have taken it upon themselves to start working on building uh, relationships when they're coming into the classroom, high-fiving, welcoming scholars, making sure that they know we want them there. So all of these are contributing, I think, to building back our social-emotional strength that we had here in Colombia.
3: No, I I love uh, watching you, Doctor Yearwood, and and Suzette, and the community. The partnership that I've seen the the board and the superintendent, uh, you know, work towards for the benefit of the students is is really uh, it's unique. Um, I don't know that it's unique to Columbia Public Schools, but I think it's unique to communities around. And the commitment that I have seen each of you make to focusing on the youth in school board meetings, um, by by bringing them first and forward the commitment that you guys have made to working the strategic plan and keeping us all involved in that is really an inspiration to me.
6: It's the most important work there is. Yes, period. Yes.
4: and the and the partnerships, um, the partnerships with our um, face or um, coalition group or mental health coalition. Just up to yesterday, we had about thirty of our community um, uh, representatives, um, along with our area superintendents meeting at our boardroom to talk about how can we strengthen and get better, you know, with, with um, mental health within our schools, and, of course, support by different organizations. That has been very helpful. Thank Columbia you, Dr. Brian village. Yearwood
1: and Suzette Waters from the Columbia Club Public School Board. Uh, Matt Gass, Bob Roper, Bob, finally, thank you again. We appreciate all your You're work. You're welcome. Thanks. so It's been a great ride. You've been listening to the KFRU Sunday Morning Roundtable
0: podcast. Don't forget to check out the show live Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 a.m. KFRU. And check out our other podcasts from Columbia Morning with David Lyle, The Morning Meeting with Simon Rose, The Closers with George Young, the KLIK Sunday Morning Roundtable, and more on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. From News Talk 98.9 FM and 1400 a.m. KFRU.